Hi friends, it's Pastor Drew Wilkerson from Bridgewater Church. Hey, thanks for stopping by this podcast. It's our prayer that as you listen, God will speak to your heart and you will feel inspired and you'll learn new things that will help you in your daily walk with God and just in life in general. So again, thanks for stopping by and thanks for listening. Hey, Bridgewater family, and welcome to 2022. Can you believe it? I'm honestly still just trying to wrap my head around 2020. In fact, I think we were just halfway through this December that I finally decided to toss this 2020 planner that had been sitting on my bookshelf. Let's be real. I think I made it through about the first couple weeks of May before I realized None of this mattered anymore, and out it went. Well, my 2021 gradually began to fill with more in-person moments and gatherings, which my extroverted heart was so grateful for, maybe like some of you. And I've been feeling pretty reflective as we wrapped up the old and began to step into the new just a few days ago. I've started throwing away some of the stale Christmas cookies, deciding what of my random decorations can totally stay up till Valentine's Day and making lists of of goals and resolutions and lifestyle changes, whatever you'd like to call them for this new year. I think there's always a bit of a temptation at the start of anything, a new year, a new job, a new relationship, even just a brand new day, to write out resolutions, to reinvent yourself, to set all the goals to be better or healthier or more productive. And while all of those things may very well be a part of this new year season, I think we run the risk of skipping ahead just a bit. Each January here at Bridgewater, we begin a series called Keep Knocking that centers on really coming to God in prayer, and this year isn't any different. As we dive in together this morning, we are going to start looking at our primary passage for this year, and it is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18. Let's read it together. It says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Paul gives us three imperatives here, sets three different goals for how the believers in Thessalonica should be living. Are any of you familiar with the idea of SMART goals? I'm in the ordination process for the Church of God, and at our last little huddle meeting, we talked about goals that are specific, measurable, attainable, realistic and time-bound. I don't think Paul knew or honestly would have cared too much about SMART goals, but these three goals don't feel very smart to me. In fact, they almost feel impossible. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. But the final line of the passage reads, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The God that I know always sets us up for success rather than failure which tells me that even though these goals feel impossible, they're not when we depend on him. So this morning, let's spend a little time together looking at just this first verse, verse 16, and we'll ask God to show us kind of the attainability of this goal in our walk with him. Let's look just at verse 16. It says, rejoice always. That's it. Two words. Let's all say it together at home, in the car, wherever you are. Let's do it. Rejoice always. If you're anything like me, that naturally would have come out a little more like, rejoice always? 
than it did rejoice always. Surely Paul wasn't expecting these people to rejoice always. When we look at the context of where they were living, it becomes even more improbable. These early Christians were being persecuted by Jewish and Roman authorities. Families had been split over beliefs. Some had lost their employment because of their faith in Jesus. And this wasn't new. It had been like this in Thessalonica since the beginning of the gospel. We see in the book of Acts that um, Paul and Silas face challenges there, including even having to escape under the cover of night. These weren't strangers that had turned on these new believers. They were neighbors and business partners and family members. But rather than giving up, Paul continually encourages them to have hope in Jesus. And in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 8, he writes this about them. And so, Paul says, you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Living in one of the most persecuted of regions, these Christians in Thessalonica have become a model for believers all over the region. And here we see in chapter 5, where instead of Paul saying, pat yourselves on the back, take a good nap, and find somewhere else easier to live, he tells them to rejoice always. And this isn't just a one-time thing. We find Paul using the same language in two places in Philippians, saying, finally, brothers, rejoice in our Lord. In Philippians 3.1 and in chapter 4.4, he writes, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Okay. Let's take a minute for a mini Greek grammar lesson. In all three of those verses, the main verb for rejoice, Cairo, is in the present active imperative form. An imperative is a command. So Paul's giving the command to rejoice always. The active part tells us that we're responsible for the action. We're commanded to choose joy and to rejoice. And then the present tense is a reminder that whenever you live in the present, this thing, this action, this verb should happen. And we do live in the present, despite the temptation to dwell on the past or to long for something that's coming in the future. There's really just no doubt here. We, like these early believers, are commanded to rejoice always. Maybe you hear these words and wonder, how, how am I supposed to rejoice when things around me feel so messy? How am I supposed to rejoice in the midst of grief? How am I supposed to rejoice when someone I love is in pain. What does it look like practically to rejoice always? There are two types of always moments that we're going to get practical about rejoicing in this morning. Moments when we don't feel like it and moments when all is well. The first is this. Rejoice even when you don't feel like it. To rejoice in the Lord doesn't mean that we won't ever feel sad or depressed. It doesn't mean that we should always fake it and appear happy or that we should bury all of our emotions. In fact, we see people all throughout the Bible, I think specifically of Psalms, lamenting to God, crying out to him in their moments of brokenness and loss and despair. And while this is definitely not the perfect picture of what I think of when I think of rejoicing, these writers are placing their ultimate hope in God. Paul isn't asking the Thessalonian Christians to be blind to the realities of the world around them, but rather than respond to difficult circumstances and injustice based on emotions, they and we are being asked to make a choice to obey and rejoice. It's an active decision. 
One of the most vivid examples that I think of when I think of rejoicing in times of injustice is found in the vast library of African-American spirituals. These would have been hymns of praise and trust to God that were, that were inspired by injustice and the social problems being faced. Songs like, there's a balm in Gilead that include the lines, there's a balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There's power enough in heaven to cure a sin-sick soul. Despite living in oppression and enslavement, this community came together to praise and to rejoice in the Lord even while they worked, while they worshiped, and even in the midst of great persecution and injustice. They rejoiced even when they didn't feel like it. You may not feel like rejoicing today. In fact, it may be the very last thing that you feel like doing. Rejoice even when. Lament to God. Pray for his joy to overcome the hopelessness you're experiencing. Thank him for his steadfastness even in times of trial. Paul brings together joy and prayer and gratitude in our passage for this series. And I think they each uniquely impact the other. James Martin, a Jesuit priest, explains it so well. He said this, prayer awakens gratitude. Gratitude leads to joy and joy moves us to prayer. When we make a conscious decision to obey, when our emotions tell us otherwise, when we go to the Lord in prayer instead of just wallowing in the pit of our circumstances, we're reminded of a steadfast God that we serve and who loves us in and through and beyond our trials, even when they're self-made ones. Having a posture of prayer allows us to truly rejoice always, even when we might be the only one rejoicing, and especially when we don't feel like it. The second always moments that we face are the times when life is good. We are called to rejoice even when all is well. Now, on the surface, this may seem and feel a whole lot easier than rejoicing when we don't feel like it. And I must admit that sometimes I forget to rejoice in seasons of ease and comfort even more quickly than I do in seasons of trial. I think we can get comfortable in our patterns and our privileges and, and begin to believe, even if it's subconsciously, that we're responsible for the blessings that we've been given. Think of a moment of joy that you've experienced in the past few weeks. And I, I hope that you've had some wonderful moments with loved ones over the holidays. I think that we run the risk of beginning to place our joy in some of these blessings themselves, in our family, in our work, in our relationships, in our health. And these are all beautiful gifts, but they are not ultimately where true joy is found. Those sweet moments together can quickly become memories. And our work can often take a higher priority than it should. And if we've learned anything over the last year and a half, it's, it's that our health is much more fleeting than we would like to imagine it is. But the great news is this. Our joy does not need to be as fickle as these aspects of our human lives are. True joy is found only in Jesus, which is why Paul specified that we rejoice in the Lord in Philippians 3.1 and in 4.4. 4. And we're called to rejoice in this even when all is well. We rejoice in the fact that Jesus has humbled himself for us, that we can know him as our Savior, and that we have a hope that no worldly circumstance can overcome. In our beautiful times of ease and of comfort, we rejoice in the Lord. In our darkest times of trial and of pain, we rejoice in the Lord. 
as we reflect back on the past year of our lives and begin to look towards this new one, we must actively rejoice in the present and reach towards the goals that God has given us right here through Paul to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and to give thanks in all circumstances. The last thing I want to talk about together today is a spiritual practice of fasting that I found in my own life to have an incredible ability to help me remain in a posture of rejoicing always through prayer and through gratitude. Fasting is simply the practice of eliminating or sacrificing something of importance or of value to you so that you can better focus on, on prayer and on God's provision in your life. We hear a lot about this especially during the season of Lent, if you have a Catholic background or experience, but it's seen all throughout both the Old and New Testament, unsurprisingly, in both times of trial and of ease. We see Moses fasting as he receives the Ten Commandments from God in the book of Exodus, where it says, So he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And God wrote the tablets, the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. We see Esther call the Jewish people to fast on her behalf, to neither eat or drink for the three days and nights as she prepares to go to the king on behalf of the Hebrew people. We see Jesus himself fasting in the desert in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, where it tells us, Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. These are only a few examples. We could look at Anna and Cornelius and Ezra and Elijah. We could look at Paul. We could look at Cornelius and countless other people groups who fasted as they prayed, as they repented, and as they just got realigned in their focus with God. The story of Daniel gives us a final example of fasting that has played a role in the way that many people practically practice fasting today. And it's going to be a part of a challenge that we want to invite our Bridgewater family to as we begin this special time of focus on rejoicing and prayer and gratitude together during the Keep Knocking series. We see two separate times of fasting in the book of Daniel. In chapter 1, Daniel has been brought in to serve on the king's court, along with three other young, healthy men from the tribe of Judah. It's actually the same three that we see later, and I just realized this, in the fiery furnace, if you're familiar with the story of Meshach and Shadrach and Abednego. Not wanting to defile themselves with the royal rations of the food and wine that the king was giving them, Daniel has found favor with the palace master, and we find ourselves here in verse 11. It says this, Then Daniel asked the guard whom the palace master had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. You can then compare our appearance with the appearance of the young men who eat the royal rations and deal with your servants according to what you observe. So he agreed to this proposal and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, it was observed that they appeared better and fatter than all the young men who had been eating the royal rations. So the guard continued to withdraw their royal rations and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. To these four men, God gave knowledge and skill in every aspect of literature and wisdom. Daniel also had insight into all visions and dreams. And then in the book of Daniel, we see him fasting a second time in chapter 10. And we're going to look at Daniel chapter 10, verse 3 together. It says this, At that time, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three weeks. I'd eaten no rich food, 
No meat or wine had entered my mouth, and I had not anointed myself at all for the full three weeks. And then following this three-week fast, Daniel once again, and I encourage you, go on and read the whole chapter. He, he receives incredible insight in this wild vision from God. Daniel gives us a model for fasting that resists the pleasures that were available or being offered to him and began to fully depend on God to give him strength and nourishment. And God does exactly as he's promised. He sustains Daniel, and when the fast is over, Daniel experiences renewed revelation from God. As a congregation, as a family here at Bridgewater, whether you're online or you've been joining us in person, we want to invite you to participate with us in a Daniel fast for 21 days, just like we saw here in chapter 10. And this will be a time to pray intentionally for the things that God lays on your heart as an individual, as well as for a special move of God within our community. I love what Fulton Sheen had to say about fasting. He says, fasting detaches you from this world. Prayer reattaches you to the next world. Fasting and prayer go hand in hand. There will be moments of longing and of hunger, and in those moments, we lean into prayer asking God to sustain us. And then there will also be moments where we see our bodies grow healthier and we rejoice in prayer, thanking God for his care. As we begin this Keep Knocking series, the Daniel Fast is a spiritual practice that you might prayerfully choose to join in that just helps us keep our minds and our hearts and our bodies in a posture of prayer before the Lord. There's nothing magical or inherently spiritual about the Daniel fast itself as opposed to other types of fasting. It, it's really just a foundation for one way. And your focus in fasting should be to seek God in prayer and to ask the Holy Spirit to lead you in what he would have you to fast. If you choose to join us corporately in this Daniel fast, we're going to start together next Sunday on January 9th and we'll fast through Saturday, January the 30th. There are lots and lots of resources online for some practical guidelines for participating in the Daniel Fast. But the basics are this. Water, fruits, veggies, whole grains are in. Meats, dairy, sugar are out. Remember, it's, it's not as much about what we're giving up as it is about what we're going to replace that longing and that time with. And God will sustain us through what he calls us to. In my own experience, the clarity and the revelation that has come in the seasons that follow a fast like this have been just continued assurance of God's grace and promises um, and his favor in times of fasting. If you choose to join us, we would love to be praying with you and to send you some tools and some encouragement as we walk in this together. So shoot us a message or comment here online by simply saying, I'm in, and we'll send you a link later this week to some special resources. This is going to be an incredible time of prayer and preparation for the transformation that I just know that God has in store for each of us. And maybe, maybe this type of fast, the Daniel fast, for any number of reasons doesn't make sense for you. And that's fine that God is calling you to a different type of prayer practice. We are praying with you and for you as well. And we'd love to know how we can partner with you or let someone in your family or someone in your life group know who can walk alongside of you as you follow what God is leading you in. We are in this together. Friends, I am rejoicing today over each of you, and I'm so glad that you have chosen to spend the beginning of this new year here online with us. And truly, I am so full of anticipation for the ways that God is going to move in our midst as we rejoice always and pray without ceasing and give thanks in all circumstances. Would you pray with me as we wrap up our time together today?
Heavenly Father, I thank you for um, the incredible work that you did in each of us in this past year in 2021. God, we thank you for the ways that we were unexpectedly refined. God, for the ways that you um, continue to show us who you are and what that looks like for us to show that to the world around us. God, I ask especially today that you would begin to move in our hearts as we look at what the next month looks like, God, as we dive in to keep knocking, um, to asking you intentionally for the things um, that, that you're doing in our lives and for the things that we need. God, that you would lay on our hearts what it looks like to practice fasting, to consecrate a, a period of time um, solely to you, God, to put our minds and our hearts and our bodies in a posture of prayer, God, that we would more fully depend on, on who you are and that we would see you move and that we would hear your voice more clearly. God, I'm just so assured that you have huge things in store for, for this community and for us as individuals, God, and we praise you for what you're doing in our midst. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Friends, I'm so glad that you are with us. Um, and again, let us know how we can be praying for you and how we can partner with you, especially as we head into a season of fasting. I cannot wait to see what God is going to do in our midst. Until we see each other again, rejoice always and keep knocking. We'll see you soon. Hey friends, thanks for listening. And if you want to be a part of our e-family, then all you have to do to join us is click the link below and you can check us out on our YouTube page. You can also join us on social media. And if you'd like to support the ministry, then just click the link to give. We're so grateful for all of our partners and together we can do more than we can alone. So again, thanks to all of you for listening to this podcast and also thank you for helping us reach people around the world for Jesus Christ. Thank you.